Welcome to Riding the Waves of Life, a Boundary Family Services podcast. This podcast contains sexual content, including discussion regarding abuse. Listener discretion is advised if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by this topic. Hello, families. Today we are here with Vanessa Miller, who is the Child and Youth Mental Health Clinician and Sexual Assault Intervention Worker at Boundary Family Services. And today we are going to talk about sexuality with children and how we talk to them about that. So welcome, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to uh, discuss this topic and hope it lands on some ears that maybe are needing a little bit of direction around this topic because it can be so challenging. Mm -hmm. Well, it can be really uncomfortable, right? Depending on how you're raised, you either weren't able to talk about it at all with your parents because they were uncomfortable with it, or sometimes it goes all way over in the other direction where it's so open and free that you kind of close off. It's an interesting topic and I think it's important for parents because I know in the past we've had questions about it, but I think it's kind of uncomfortable, like we were saying. So I'm really happy that we're opening it up, especially in the podcast format so that parents can be able to listen and not maybe have to talk about it in front of a bunch of people, which could be uncomfortable. I think you kind of nailed one of the biggest points on the head there right off the hop is that it's such an important conversation to have with our kids continuously. You know, research shows us that talking to our kids about sex and sexuality in a very, you know, healthy fact-based way um, is one of the number one ways we can prevent child sex abuse. The unfortunate thing is, is that as soon as we say child sex abuse and you start, you know, considering that happening to your own own child, that's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So a lot of want to just ignore and, and walk away from that because it's such a scary concept to consider. Or we have been triggered by something that might have happened in our own past. Anytime that topic comes up, it brings up or resurfaces those thoughts for us. So we try to avoid it. Or like you said, the dialogue was never comfortable in our own households growing up. And we're sort of continuing that pattern because we just know how to, how to navigate it with our own kids. Or we're worried too that, that talking to our kids about sex or being open about sex and sexuality is going to somehow promote it or sort of invited in. So there's lots of concern around having this conversation for sure that unfortunately then leaves a lot of families keeping it on the outside of the realm of conversations. And, uh, and, and that is sort of when we get to get into a bit of trouble. So the number one thing really to do is to just regularly talk about it. From what I've read in studies and heard from experts is that it's best to start right away, like from when they're starting to kind of discover their bodies and stuff when they're really little and just talking about it all the way through the spectrum. But when you start at the beginning of the spectrum, what do you do? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, like really, as soon as we're talking, we can invite in any kind of conversation around this. I know that one thing that I started very young was talking about secrets not being safe. Mm -hmm. Um, So even just around the dinner table, if there was whispering of any sort, you know, well, secrets aren't safe is something that we talked about. I know that doesn't really have a sexual connotation to it, but that's something that can... Well, it can, can be... though, right? Oh, yeah. Because yes. when, you, when you start talking about sexual abuse, a lot of the oh. time, 
whoever is the abuser is saying, keep this a secret. Don't tell anybody about it. Totally. I remember it was a, in another time when we, I had this in in-person group, we were talking about secrets and how they're dangerous with children and talking about it with children, instead of it being a secret, have it be a special surprise, right? So you're going to say it and you're not keeping it to yourself. And then, yeah. so that's when secrets are like exciting, like, you know, you bought your dad a birthday present, but you don't want to tell him what it is. Well, it's going to be a special surprise instead of a secret. So you're not confusing. Yeah. I meant it wasn't really like a, you didn't have to say the word sex, I guess, initially um, in having that conversation, just right. secret. Yeah. So at any age, you can start talking about that. If it comes, you know, when we start talking about body and sex and sexuality, it's very important, even from a very young age that we name terms exactly as they are so often parents will start you know they have nicknames for vaginas mm. or penises but we call it what it is so that you are speaking the same language with the, that child and it then if something happens they can disclose it to you they can talk very matter-of-factly about it you know it does it's not a funny thing it's not a shameful thing it just is mm. the same as your earlobe you know it, it it loses that charge and that intensity the more we normalize it. Right. And you know, that can be, like we said, so uncomfortable for parents, but when we normalize it, that is going to increase their ability to speak up for themselves and to talk about it because they're not ashamed, you know, when they're in other situations away from you. And if something ever were to occur, make them uncomfortable, they're way more likely to disclose it to you because Mm. we have created this safe dynamic in the family where it's an appropriate topic of conversation. So I think you had talked about some specifics though, like starting young and, and sort of what that could look like. It, look, it can be very simple. So again, we talked about just using the correct terms. And if you don't know some of the correct terms, like that's okay. You know, as questions come up around things, you can, I mean, you've got Google out there, you've got other resources, mm-hmm. but we want, we want to use the correct terms and just really lose the charge. So again, this is where parents are kind of responsible to check in with themselves and try to make sure that they're just speaking very matter-of-factly about these things. The other thing to sort of emphasize starting at a young age is body autonomy. Yes, that is your vagina. And, you know, you are the one who gets to say whether or not people touch it. Now that's very focused on sex organs, but that can apply to hugs that can apply to any kind of touch or or form of physical affection, you know, starting at a very young age to emphasize that they don't have to hug uncle so-and-so if they don't want to, they can do another form to show affection or say hi, they can, you know, bow, curtsy, whatever it is. And that's the whole lesson on consent too, right? Is that any, any part of your body, if, if you don't want somebody to touch them, then you're not giving them consent. And also vice versa for children when they're playing with each other and a a child says, Hey, don't touch me. It's important to respect that and, or ask for consent of like, is it okay if we wrestle that sort of thing? Right. Starting at a young age. Absolutely. Wrestling, you know, even tickling, right. Mm -hmm. When you're saying no, no has to mean no. Yeah. I think parents and maybe, you know, the, some of the situations we grew up in, you could say no, but people would keep doing it. And thought it was okay because they were having fun. You were laughing. Or whatever. And it's just not because it reinforces this, this belief starting at a young age that you don't actually have a say over your body. And don't even notice that we're doing it when we say like, so-and-so gave you this Christmas present. Like you better go, go give them mm-hmm. a hug. Skip ahead 10 or 20 years. What that actually is, is saying like, you have to give physical affection in exchange for something that you received, you know, like that could translate to 
so much yucky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Consent, super important there. And that consent has to be expressed. It can't just, you know, just being passive isn't consent. Yeah. Um, that is not a yes. If they're not saying anything or if you're, or if they're, you know, it's, it's against their will and they're just not expressing a clear defined yes or no and, and have your, you know, to support your child in that. Also, I think we think it needs to be this big, let's sit down and have the talk. But when we can make it more normal, it can just be tossed in, you know, you're driving your kid to daycare and it's okay. Yeah. And what do you think you're going to do today? And oh yes. And Hey, what would you do if there's actually something they call the what if game, but like, what would you do if someone touched your body in a way that didn't make you feel good? Okay. Yeah. Who do you think you could talk to about that? Cool. Okay. Don't forget your lunch. Yeah. You know, be super. And that, again, that's how it loses the charge. Mm -hmm. I just sliding it in, you know, here and there again, how was your day at school? Oh, it was great. Cool. Did you know that you have complete control over your body autonomy and, uh, you know, secrets aren't safe. And if anybody ever did anything, you could always come to me. Yes. Okay, cool. See you at dinner. So just being that invitation, I think is yeah. really, really important. Yeah. And opening it up, making it casual. And like you were saying, instead of having it be like this big, important talk and it's serious and all those things. Right. So that it's just kind of, that's just part of life. Oh yeah. And then eventually you're going to get mom, quit asking me. <laughs> <laughs> again yes I know (laughs) exactly which is okay we'd rather than have that you know I think a lot of parents are scared like we talked about of opening the the door and and bringing up conversation you know I don't think like I don't think it's on my child's brain yet you know they're only 10 or they're only 12 or whatever trivial number we've come up with is the age where they're suddenly going to start to have some awareness around these things. But I can almost guarantee you if they're not getting their information from you, they're getting it from somewhere else. Oh, for sure. So we want to make sure they're getting it from a reliable resource. So even if you are the first person to bring it up, isn't that better than the first person to bring it up being a Google that's an unreliable resource or a friend of theirs who, who, you know, we don't know what kind of context things are being spoken about or truth is there so so even if you are the first person that's okay in fact that's kind of welcome if you're setting the stage for it and inviting that conversation I I wonder too if a lot of parents are they go in with what they want to say but they're worried about the questions they're going to get asked I remember my son was in kindergarten and we were eating dinner and one of the other students that day when they were eating lunch he goes yeah they they said that you have so to make babies you have sex and the penis goes in the vagina and I was like yeah (laughs) I looked across the table and my husband's mouth was like open and I'm like yeah I got this (laughs) and he's I was like yeah that that is how it happens that all mammals that's how it happens and he's like so but like how does it get in there and I was like "Hmm." like in my mind I'm like okay kindergarten so I'm gonna dumb this down a little bit it's like, so right now, sweetie, your penis is for peeing and, you know, whatever else you, you do with it when you're feeling uncomfortable. Cause some boys like to touch themselves when they feel uncomfortable when they're little. And I was like, but other than that, you don't really need to worry about that part yet, but we will talk about it later. But right now, yeah. just the things you already do with it. It's just fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's so true, right? Like, I mean, and, and young, right? And already aware of sex, sexual activity. So I think we we don't give them enough credit for what no. all they're exposed to and what 
what is already going on in their head. Always approached it very scientifically with my kids of like, they know the names of everything. I've even told them that their mouth is a private area. You know, you should be touching your mouth without your consent and don't touch somebody else's mouth without asking. And then, yeah, just like everything's just part of your body. And if they ask any of those questions, I'm always just really nonchalant about it. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, that is what's happening. Any more questions? But also like just thinking about the whole process is also looking into different cultures, right? So like in the North American culture, it seems very ingrained that it is kind of a taboo thing where there's a lot of adults that have a hard time with it. You know, and, and if you think about like sexual education in schools and stuff like that, especially in the States, how upset it makes some adults about teaching their kids about that stuff. And then you look into like Northern European countries where they have, I can't remember Finland or Norway, I think it was Finland. They had a very high pregnant teen pregnancy rate. And so they decided to teach sexual anatomy and consent and all that stuff at a really young age for kids and teaching it age appropriately throughout the years. And their teen pregnancy rate is down to almost zero. So it was just a a really neat study in showing how important it is to actually teach your children. um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how often do we hear knowledge is power? Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think it promotes the more they know about their bodies, the more they know about sex and sexuality, the more they know the language, they know the consequences of certain things, the more they know, the more level of control they feel they have over it, right? Mm -hmm. If they don't know, there's this sense of sort of like being a bit of a, like, what's it called? Like a sheet in the wind, right? Like you're just kind of um, feeling a bit untethered there. So really knowledge is power and parents are doing a service. Like, I do believe there is a lot of stigma. Like if I bring this up, I'm going to plant a seed of some sort and they're going to start thinking that it's, that they're, they're going to start having sex because I brought it up, but research has never shown that to be true. (laughs) In fact, it works the opposite way. Exactly. As you said, so they're trying to discover it on their own versus having knowledge from the get-go and being able to make the decision on their own with that knowledge. Yeah. I think it's really, for parents to kind of sit down even you know with their partners or on their own or with other parents or caregivers and just consider what it is that they are afraid of I think Mm -hmm. that's really good introspection and a really good thing to consider you know while while you're having these conversations with your kids to check in on that on what exactly that is so that you can kind of speak to it or be aware of it when they start to ask questions or when you're when you're bringing some of these topics up and you can keep it in check Um, There's also like the level of transparency you can have as a parent too, right? You know, if your kid comes to you with something like, I don't know, that question makes me uncomfortable, or I don't know the answer to that question, but maybe we can access Vanessa boundary and maybe she can help us out. Or maybe we can talk to this teacher who teaches this program in your school and see if they can, right? Like, Mm -hmm. have to know all the answers. We don't have to be totally okay. Like it's, it's okay for us to say, or we can talk to the doctor about that, or we can go speak to the public health nurse or, you know, there, we can be transparent. We don't have to know all the answers as parents. No. And also going alongside with them to discover the answer. Mm -hmm. Because then you're working with them and it's, it's creating that bond too. Right. Exactly. And because once again, the, the real point of that a is that knowledge is power. So they get a little bit more sense of body autonomy and that they have a right to consent, but also disclosure. 
right? So thing happens and it, you know, it can even start with something small or and maybe we catch, you catch it before it got even more out of hand or it's something very large happens something very, any kind of experience. They're going to be able to tell you if they know that you are willing to hold space for that conversation. So even if you're transparent in this, I'm, I don't know the answers of what we hear there or whatever, you're still, like you said, creating that rapport where they know this topic can be brought to you yeah. with judgment or without shame or without making you as a parent, very uncomfortable mm-hmm. and very shut down and push it away. So yeah, making it a not okay subject. So it's like this, this is not an okay subject around my parents. So now I have to try and figure it out on my own. Yeah. Which I think if we were really honest with ourselves, all parents, like that is worst case scenario, right? Mm-hmm. You would never yeah. that alone. So, so it's important that we overcome some of our discomfort here mm-hmm. or maybe at some of our triggers, look at some of our fears and really do some of that work ourselves so that we can create that space for our, for our child. Do you have any suggestions? So from a very early age, it's talking about all the parts of your body in one general, like, yes, you those are your eyes. That's your nose. Oh, that, yeah. You like touching your penis. That's pretty fun. That's your penis <laughs> or your vagina or whatever. And then as they get older, what do you suggest as far as like steps that you continue to take? You know, I think sometimes too, you can just ask the questions. I think we're, we're scared to do that too. So anybody in your class talking about sex, Right. do you have any questions about sex? Do you have any questions about your body? Have you heard about or are you experiencing any changes in your body that, you know, whatever, or even, you know, you can very nonchalantly bring up your own personal experience. Like, you know, I remember when I was 10 and noticing this was happening, or I remember turning 12 and being really jealous of the other girls who got their periods. Have you ever felt like that? And they're like, no mom, you're crazy. And you're like, cool. <laughs> this, uh, this realm. Right. Or maybe they said like, what's a period. And then you're like, okay, well, here we go again, where you can either speak to that directly if you feel like you you have those tools or you access some resources that, that can help you navigate that with them, alongside them. So I do I do like the kind of the checking in and the, and the questions about that. I think we often feel like we have to go in with a script, but it's really, you know, similar to this conversation you and I are having. I think once you open the space, the conversation will just happen. So we just keep opening that space. We just keep inviting that conversation to occur if it's ready to. And then sometimes it does. Well, I'm always here if you do have questions or um, what do your kids say about, or what do your friends say about sex? Uh, Has that come up? You know, like, I think we can just get inquisitive sometimes. Not so much so. It doesn't have to be big. So keeping it inquisitive from early up up until teens and and later if you if, you know as yeah. as the journey goes yeah and I think too we can also you know and this might be harder for someone like me who feels like they're very well versed on the topic like I'm also a, a registered nurse I've also worked in women's health I've also done lots of sexual health training and stuff like that but if my child doesn't want to speak to me mm-hmm. about it, being able to say okay is there somebody you would trust without me would you like me to take you to see to the opt clinic you know, without me coming and sort of surrendering that piece. If, if we feel we aren't the best suited for it or our child doesn't feel comfortable right. with that. So not letting your own ego get in the way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And being yeah. okay with the fact that maybe they're just not comfortable talking to you about this, but making okay. sure that they're still safely getting the information that they need. 
Yeah. I don't know. hundred percent sure. Like in the school system, but I know that like once they're in high school, I'm pretty sure they're getting conversation or, or and sexual education starting from grade eight. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, even just asking what they talk about and if they have any questions about it, I remember doing it when I was in elementary school and that's obviously some time ago, but a lot of emphasis on like stranger danger and, mm. and what to do if somebody you don't know touches you. And, you know, the research is showing us that 80 to 90% of abusers are actually known to the family or to the caregivers. They're often trusted family members or caregivers. Themselves. So not to scare anybody about that, but more to really reinforce that from a young age, that body autonomy piece, right? That, yeah, they, even if it's an uncle or an aunt or a, somebody that they know and trust, they still don't get a say over their body, right? Yeah. So the tickle fights and all that stuff that would seem really benign actually do matter because these are the people, of course, they're, they might not, they might say no to a stranger tickling them. And that would be less, you would be like, yeah, don't tickle my yeah. child. That's a crazy person in the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. But if it's, you know, it, it, the same rules have to apply throughout um, because yeah. I think that's where. Even as a parent, like in our yeah. house, if somebody <laughs> says, don't, don't tickle me, don't hug me, don't kiss, whatever it is, yeah. you stop. She'll say, mom, stop. And I did it again. And she'll say, I said, stop. And I'm, I'll oh yeah, I'm sorry. I should have respected mm-hmm. me and your words there. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And they will call you on it. My oh, kids yeah. do. It's like, I'll tickle, you know, cause you, you get into it and you're like, I'm tickling them, but they're giggling and they're saying no, and we're having fun. And then they say no again. And then you stop and yeah, they call you on it. They're like, I said no already. And you kept yeah. tickling and I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. sorry. I should have stopped. Yeah. That wasn't nice. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of that consent piece as they get older passivity, right? Like I'm, I'm not really saying yes, I keep this going or, you know, they said yes, but they were, they said no, but they were laughing, right? Like it is it, words are still words, right? And, and yeah. Really kind of, um, yeah. And understanding that from the other side of it too, right? Of they know to say no, but they need to hear when somebody else does and understand the other side of consent. Absolutely. Um, is super important too. And kind of laying the groundwork for that at an early age so that they understand it even more once they're older, I think is really important too. And you know what, you, that you actually bring up a really beautiful point there, because I think we underestimate our ability to inspire that in them by modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and often as parents, do we feel touched out? Do we want space? Do we need to set a boundary? And we don't because we feel bad or whatever, but Really, if it's like, I'm not into, I need some space right now, or, you know, they're climbing all over you and you're like, I just need, it's okay to say those things. Mm-hmm. You're showing them what somebody who is practicing body autonomy can do. I, I'm touched out right now and I don't welcome any more touch at this moment. Like mm-hmm. we get all on the couch later when we read a book or something like that, right? Like those are okay things to say. Yeah. In fact, they invite in an, an opportunity for something different for that child to say, oh, I if mom can do that, then I can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not a com- not the narrative that maybe we see or feel comfortable doing, but is very possible. Yeah. Well, and as they get like, of course, as really young, tiny little babies, they're not going to understand touched <laughs> out and that sort of thing. Yeah. But like, as they start kind of getting into the preschooler age ish type yeah. time and beginning of school, they'll start understanding that more. And like you said, they'll start mirroring that. Uh, behavior, right? Consent is so important when it comes to that sort of thing, right? And like you said, it's been a blurred line for a long time of, you know, 
if they're saying no, but they're, they're like not really stern on it, well, then maybe it means yes, right? Yeah. And, and having that understanding that actually, no, it doesn't. Yeah. Even yeah. if they said yes at the start and then say no, it's still no. Yeah, you're allowed to change your mind. Yeah. It's wonderful that it's starting to become more and more of a thing and that we are able to talk about it more now and teach our children that it's really important to be very like open about your needs and your wants and not worry as much about how it's going to hurt the other person and, yes. and having strong boundaries. Cause as my mom always said, she's like, well, with boundaries, it's somebody's going to be hurt and it shouldn't be you because it's your boundary. So I I've always kind of thought about that of like, right. Okay. So are their feelings more important than mine in this moment? Or we could talk about boundaries for eight, for ages, but right. another one that, that boundaries are a bridge, not a barrier. I'm not feeling loved and in a good relationship with you with this action. So right now I need this, mm-hmm. I need you to stop. And, and if they stop, then great. We still have a good working relationship. And if they don't stop or you don't express your boundary, there's now walls up and there is not authentic relationship happening there. So it's actually an invitation for a bridged and, and better relationship mm-hmm. as opposed to walls and stuff we put up when we just let people walk all over us so another podcast I'm sure yes well it's also interconnected right that's why it it makes it hard but it's all really good points right so then uh, early on it's body anatomy and just and scientifically explaining everything and then curiosity always just implementing questions throughout their life throughout the day then as they get older still implementing those questions and and asking if they have any questions and trying just to keep that open relationship with them of any questions that they are going to ask you being ready to be open about it and also important like you said looking inside yourself and seeing what you're uncomfortable with and why yeah that those hands-on tools so like you discussed also that what if game that can you know from a young age at preschool what if something like this happened but that can also translate as they get older what if you're kissing somebody and then they touch up and then they want to do more or even just asking do you believe that if you said yes at the beginning that you're still allowed to say no later mm-hmm. no I don't believe that why not like and explore that with them yeah what if you were at a party and you'd been drinking and somebody you know tried to touch you what what could you do that is where now like you said, parents need to start doing some of that work, that inner work, because those are all can be very scary topics for a lot of them. Right. And then those are big questions. Like, when do you believe sex is allowed for your child? And do you believe that you're the one who gets a say in when it's sex is right. allowed? You know, um, there's a ton of different viewpoints around that. I'll speak my truth here as a parent. My big thing is the number one thing that I would want my daughter to consider before having sex is that it's coming, that she wants to do it hundred percent driven in her own needs, wants, and desires, you know, not for somebody else wanting to do it, not because she's not seeking anything else, you know, you know, as we expand and grow and, and all these directions that the world is taking, you know, saying it's something that people do when they love each other. I mean, is that true? Saying it's something that they do when they're married. Is that true? Saying that it's an act that happens between a man and a woman. Is that true? I mean, there's so much there. It's a lot. <laughs> It is. And it actually, all of those questions depend on your own values. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But also, so that's why you were saying before, like discussing with, if you do have a partner at home, 
or if you don't, you know, discussing with other friends or family members about values, but especially within the own family unit of like whatever that family unit is, whether you're on your own discussing with yourself what your values are, like looking inside yourself and being like, okay, what are my core values when it comes to this sort of thing? Or if you do have a partner at home discussing with them, because their values may be quite different than yours and you didn't know that is, is getting into that conversation of, okay, what are our values surrounding this? What are your beliefs? What do we want to try and instill in our children as their values surrounding this? I mean, in my mind, you can have your own values and you can try and instill them in your kids, but it's their body and they're going to do with it what they want, regardless of what you try and, you know, either force them to do or try and coerce them to do, or, you know, sit back and just watch the game happen. But it, you really don't actually have control over your child's totally. body. And totally. that's another thing to realize when it comes to that is that when they're really little itty bitty, um, you can protect them, however you feel that may be. But as they start getting older and getting their own autonomy, realizing that you can't control it anymore. You can't, you can try and protect, but as, especially when they become teenagers, you have to trust that whatever values you had may be there and they're going to do what's best for them. I think before, before anybody who's now like listening to this and has some very strong beliefs or values starts tail spinning and shuts us off too. <laughs> I know. It, uh, <laughs> it, it, have those values, but it's so okay. And there's cultural beliefs and all this stuff. So again, a really good way to approach that is to a, have the conversation with a partner mm-hmm. or members or with yourself about what are they? And then asking why I have them yeah. because a really beautiful non-charged conversation with your child about these are our values and this is why Mm -hmm. you should do this because I said so this is the value system this is why it's important to me this is why it's important to our family this is why it's important to our culture my husband and that whatever it is and so I'm sharing that with my child not imposing it upon them Mm -hmm. but I'm sharing it as an invitation okay so they can see those values, hear why, and maybe it aligns with them, right? Maybe it's, yeah. it's plans. You are coming from the same culture, the same family, right? So, so you never know those value systems may also be relevant to your child. The important thing is to continue to let them express and know that they are, they have their own value system. And if you want them to adopt your value system, I mean, just share your value system and they can take and choose from, from that. I, I just think being very transparent and really sharing the whys, the whys this is important, you know, yeah. and again, that might mean more, even more conversation, because if you got pregnant, you would want to be able to have this sort of network in place or whatever it is. So, so yeah, that, that piece definitely for sex and sexuality moving forward is, is important to really be aware of our value system. And again, when we can have that conversation in a non-charged way, I believe every parent's value system is that child abuse is not welcome. Yes. So no matter where you're coming at with consensual sex um, and sexual activity, non-consensual, that is really, I think, what we're talking about here on a broader level when we just keep the conversation open and neutral and non authoritarian because yeah. as soon as scary place for your child to come to that you stop being a resource for them and and things kind of fall apart or as soon as you start instilling shame i think mm-hmm. parents don't maybe recognize too that the more we say sex is bad 
your body is bad. You need to what cover up and all this stuff. As soon as somebody becomes ashamed of their body, they cease to believe they have control over it because it's something that's in, they're now ignoring it. They're not looking at it. Other people get to stay over it other than me. If I believe that my parents say that I can't have sex, that's an external authority talking about my sexual activity, which is still promoting somebody else gets to say over my body as opposed to body autonomy. So yes. I, I really like that you brought up the explanation of why these are the values. Children deserve to have an explanation for any value that you're instilling within the family because then they understand it instead of blindly following. And so explanations are, I find great for children. And then they're also gaining more knowledge too. We've always talked about in groups, just allowing your children, especially, you know, as they age into being able to understand family values and that sort of thing, allowing them to be part of the planning of what, what values do they value within the family and having a discussion about that instead of cutting them off and being like, these are the rules. Totally. So I really like that you were saying, explaining why they are the values. And then hopefully, you know, they'll align with them maybe and, and, and take those on whatever they may be, but also being open to the thought that you still want to be there for them. If they happen to not If they happen to do anything that doesn't go along with your value system, you're still going to be there for them and not, you know, come down on them hard and, and lose that bond. Yeah. And because really at the end of the day, what we're talking about is our values and values are more important than behaviors. Mm -hmm. Right. So like maybe, you know, because we've all made behavior choices that might not reflect our values so what we really want to instill in family and in our children is the values, but the behaviors are, are different or non-reflective of that, you know, that's also an opportunity to extend grace. And, and I think too, one of the challenges with, you know, having a why is that sometimes you don't know the why you've, have you heard that, uh, that proverb, that parable of like, well, mom cuts the lamb roast in half when she puts it in the oven and, and why mm. do you cut the off? Yeah. Why do you, all the generations back, well, it's because the ovens back then were too small. So you had to cut it that way. Right. So if yeah. you don't know what something is that can also provoke a lot of introspection. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've like come up with a rule and my daughter has challenged me on the why. And if I don't have a good reason, I'm like, uh, I, I guess, I guess it could not be a rule or I really have to think about why I've made it a rule. Yeah. I find it. And maybe that's not a good reason. Maybe it is. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, I, I don't know at the time, but let's just roll with it for now. I'll yeah. be going back to you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> or, but we did it this way before. So like, why now? Because <laughs> um, yeah. I'm tired and hungry. And <laughs> my patience right now is, yeah. uh, again, transparency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful point though, right? It's okay to have those values. Let's just share them and tell them why, as opposed to making them an imposition or an authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, cause I, I, you know, what happens with teenagers and, and trying to impose authority, right. Usually okay. it ends up being a little bit opposite of what you were expecting. I was going to say, that's a good point to bring up with the teenage sort of rebellion years sometimes. And it might be a bit of, you know, s- swallowing some of your fears as a parent, but some harm reduction strategies is yes. We've talked about the values. Yes. We've talked about what's important, but the developmental mindset of that age range is to experiment and to try on new hats. And that might look like having sex with lots of different partners. It might look like 
making out or, or doing, you know, it's something, it, it can be very broad, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but to instill that, okay, but this is our value system. This might be what we believe. But if you ever were to do this, you know, like, do you know that you condoms prevent sexually transmitted mm-hmm. infections? Are you aware that you have the opt clinic that runs once a week if you ever needed to access those services? You know, again, knowledge is power really on the prevention strategy. I really think they're afraid that if I tell them that the opt clinic exists, they're going to go and do all this stuff, but no, no, no. So it might be scary to consider, but practicing some awareness that that is the the age that they will start to try on hats and, and maybe participate in behaviors that don't line up with them. And that's just part of growth. Um, they'll try behavior on and then say, if they're in an environment where grace is extended and there is no shame, they can say, I tried that. It didn't work for me. And moving on, I tried that. It didn't work for me, but I, I feel really badly about it. And I don't have to talk to about it. And oh my gosh, what if, and, it, and it's sort of precipitating from there. So mm-hmm. Yes, the teenage years. Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's really more about the parents, isn't it? It is. That's yeah. the thing. Like every parenting is about you. Yes. As a parent, it's a lot of self-reflection. No matter what aspect of parenting you're looking at, parenting is self-reflection of who you are and who you want to be and how you become oh, yeah. that that parent you want to be. Always teaching us. They mm-hmm. are the teachers. I would say more often than not. Yes. Yeah. So I, I went to a speaker once and she said, our children are the best at showing us our own immaturities. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yep. I think that's humbling for a lot of us, but it also makes sense evolutionary wise, right? Like they're the next generation. They should be asking different questions. They, you know, they're going to be to a point you want them to be smarter than you, you know, whatever it is more evolved than you. And they are they're probably going to be at some point. And so that can be a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah. Once again, it's the ego thing, right? <laughs> you can't have an ego in parenting. It just, yeah. it doesn't go well. No. You have to be very humble. <laughs> well, is there anything else you'd like to share for today? I did want to just briefly talk about disclosure or should sexual abuse, should you be suspecting it kind of okay. what to do? Yep. Some ways to recognize would be a sexual kind of content or sexualization of themselves or other children that seems inappropriate for the age and heavy sexualization. If they're, if they're really kind of ruminating on it, that can be a, a red flag. If they suddenly become touch sensitive. Now we just talked about body autonomy. So of course that's being, you know, for them wanting some space or not wanting to participate in tickles or not wanting to hug a certain family member here and there that's not the same thing. It's, it's when it's a sudden change from normal where they really just don't want to be touched. They don't want their regular bedtime hug. Anytime you do touch them, maybe they they get really uh, reactive. That's something to look for school. If they're in school or school age, if if their school were starting to suffer or anything like that, you know, a a significant decline in their mental well-being can always be an opportunity for you to ask, Hey, like, is something up? Like, do you want to talk? Um, Anything like that. Now, if they do disclose something to you, uh, you know, really the number one thing and it's going to be a, a challenging thing to do but is to remain calm and there has been a lot of research around this too is that um you know if a child comes to you and says you know so i've broken my arm we can stay fairly neutral to that response whereas if they come to us disclosing that they have been abused sexually often our minds will go to this place where they're damaged now for life and they're ruined and 
oh my God, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And that's being projected onto them. Right. And so the research is actually saying, if we can kind of treat it like a broken arm where, okay, this actually hasn't fractured your soul or your, your self-worth or your ability to have a long and healthy, happy life, (laughs) then they're less likely to take that on. Right. They have no reference point for that. So if you can keep it neutral and say, okay, I am going to remain calm. How can we support this? What are we going to do now? That really helps mitigate some of those mental health impacts that can be lasting for life around, you know, that damaged shame broken that often accompanies it. So, so that is really some interesting research there because it can be a challenge for a lot of us. And it can kind of, to say that a broken arm and sexual abuse are comparative, it might trigger a lot of people, but what we're trying to say is to keep the response neutral and not put it away in a closet where they're not allowed to talk about it. And this is so awful. And, and oh my God, my poor baby, you'll never be the same again. Your innocence is gone, right? I mean, how horrible they didn't do mm-hmm. anything. So we don't want to try to put that there, even, even though it comes from a place of, you know, fear and, and well-being. So stay calm. And then you can call child services. You can call the ministry, you know, depending on the nature of what happened, bringing them into the clinic or into the hospital for, for assessment, of course. But really, once again, it's keeping the charge low this, because the children will feed off of our energy. So that charge low so that they recognize like this isn't something that I'm not going to be able to overcome. I can overcome this. We can access the services we need to to get on the other side. And also that my parent is here with me and they're oh. they're supporting me and it's going to be OK. Yeah. Yeah. And what sort of instance should they come to you? They can come to me with any incident that ha- that may have happened. We can do a screening and we can discuss, right? We can, it doesn't have to be long and arduous. We can have a couple sessions. I'm also hoping to offer a workshop coming up that's a little more hands-on for parents with like what some of that knowledge is, what some of those words are, some more tools around that. And even, you know, helping or coming alongside parents as they explore some of that introspective stuff that we talked about, um, about why they might be struggling or what their value systems are. But yeah, um, open to referrals for any child that has has experienced any form of what they would uh, describe as as abuse or sexual assault form, for sure. And it really can be, it's really their definition, right? Right. Yeah. So it can be a broad spectrum then. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And, and to do that, do they just phone Boundary Family Services and then they schedule? Yes. So they'll phone um, Boundary Family Services and we will arrange uh, a screening. So our screening hours are Monday through Thursday from 11 to 12. So they can call anytime within those hours uh, to get a screening done directly. Or if they call outside of that, then they'll receive a call back within those hours. On right. The following. Mm-hmm. And then so workshop that you're talking about, is there an mm-hmm. age range of child that you're kind of focusing on in that workshop? Or can any parent come? Any parent will be able to come. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think our first one is going to be parents only. And then if there is some good uptake there, uh, we might consider doing something down the road where, you know, we can facilitate the actual conversation with parents and their, and their children. Wonderful. That's exciting. Is that going to be in person or on zoom? Both. Both. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Vanessa. That was a lovely conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a lovely day. What a wonderful podcast. I really hope that you guys were able to get some good tools surrounding the subject matter. 
and we'll be able to implement some of them at home with your children. As always, we are going to have our contest. But first, I'm going to announce our lucky winner of our contest for last month's podcast, which was on dental hygiene with Mandy McGill. Uh, so our lucky winner is, drum roll please, Tanya Reinert. So congratulations, Tanya. Yay. Um, I will contact you and you will be able to pick up your prize at Boundary Family Services. And now we're going to do our question for this podcast. So I'm going to ask you a question about the podcast and then you can email your answer to me, Mel. So that's M-E-L dot Shenstone, S-H-E-N-S-T as in Tony, O-N-E at B as in Bumble, F-I-S-S dot org. And the question for this episode is, what are Vanessa's screening hours? And what days does she do her screening? So if you can email that answer to me, you'll be entered into a draw for a lovely family prize. Uh, We have been giving away family passes to the pool. Uh, We're going to be getting family passes to the boardroom and the movie theater and all bunch of wonderful different places around town. So email me and get entered into the draw. Riding the Waves of Life is provided by Boundary Family Services and funded by the Public Health Agency of Canada. All equipment was funded by a grant provided by the Phoenix Foundation.